This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm joined by Dan Hodgman. I am hey, Dan everybody. Hodger. Yeah, I reversed him today. How are you doing, Dan? That was weird. It threw me off. I know. I like to keep people on their toes, kind of like uh, this market <laughs> right now, right? Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, and man, there was some wild price action this week. I thought we were really, you know, when the futures were down on, uh, what was it, Sunday night? Mm-hmm. I really thought we were going to go for it. I, I thought it was really going to be... Especially after last week. I'm right there with you. I started to think to myself on Sunday night. I was like, man, maybe this thing will continue down. Like maybe we're going to go make a and establish a new low, not compared to the low in, uh, in March, but maybe we're going to go get a new low somewhere. We're going to check things out down there and give a, everyone another chance to buy in. I can't remember seeing a move like that where you know, the futures were damn near limit down uh, in the night mm-hmm. session and then came roaring back to a uh, positive. And then we had uh, our boy Jay Powell talking today and uh, <laughs> the market's kind of uh, trying to figure out what to make of that. The market has no clue what's going on. Yesterday, S&P's like range was 100, 100 points, 110 points, something like that. That was massive. This morning I wake up and I'm looking at my phone, I get my first notification, I don't know, 6 a.m. or something, and it's like Dow up a thousand, set to open a thousand up. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, within 20 minutes of the open, Dow was like almost back to settlement. I'm just like, I can't keep up. This is insane. That's a thousand point move like that. <sighs> yeah. So uh, be careful out there, people. Uh, a lot of opportunities, but a lot of chances to get your face removed violently as we (laughs) would say um anyway today uh our guest is a big one we had will rind who is the founder and ceo of granite shares which is an etf shop um what do you you call them not shop shop sounds like it's a trading firm 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 institution it's called a firm institution yeah it's called granite shares he uh has quite the resume um he was a principal over at BlackRock. I, I believe he said he managed the GLD, which is the largest gold ETF in the world uh, yep. for a while. And now he's set out to uh, have his own ETF firm. So it was super interesting. Uh, we don't get to talk a lot about ETFs. So uh, it was our opportunity to ask any questions we had about that asset class. It was really fun and exciting. And honestly, you know, just talking about volatility we're seeing over here and how crazy it is. ETFs kind of give you a different chance, a different way to look at the market, a different way to manage your risk a little bit, um, kind of help control some of the violent swings that we see. And uh, it was kind of exciting for me. Will was able to break down just like better understanding of ETFs. I bought them. I've messed with them a little bit. My knowledge of them hasn't been huge, but I know how to make some money with them. And so to kind of understand the buildup, the makeup behind them was really awesome. Cool. And then... um... You know, it's hard to even try and talk about where this market is headed next this week. Uh, had a strong retail sales number today. And then um, Powell did his song and dance where uh, everybody's trying to do some sort of mind meld on Jay Powell. And I'll tell you where it's going. You want to know? Yeah. We're going to end the week higher. Okay. That's my, that's my, uh, 
my opinion right now. I think we end the week higher. Um, I'm saying this on Tuesday. Um, NASDAQ is we're trying to get above 10,000, having a hard time. I think uh, I think this week you're going to see positive buyers coming in, bringing this thing up a little bit higher. Okay. Well, we're at about 3,100 right now in the S&P. Uh, I can see that. And Dan, you've been on a roll lately. I've, I've noticed I sent you a Slack the other day. I went back through our conversations on the last few podcasts and coaches playbook and uh, you've been on a roll. <laughs> I know. I, it's, I didn't want you to say anything. I've been thinking about it for like the last week and a half. I was like, no one, no one call out my hot streak. I'm throwing a no hitter right now. Don't bring up no hitter. That's a good point. You can't say it. So uh, instead of uh, tempting fate, uh, why don't we just throw it over to our Limit Up interview today with Granite Shares, Will Rind. We'll see you after the break. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. We are joined today by a very special guest. It's the founder and CEO of Granite Shares, Mr. Will Rind. Will, how you doing? Doing very well. Thanks, Jack. Uh, great to be with you. I was so excited to uh, see your background and that you were going to be on the show today because we talked to a lot of people that are in the futures trading education and things like that. And it's good to get some variety in there. And I actually have a ton of questions to ask about ETFs. Um, But first, I thought maybe for the listeners, you could tell a little bit about your background and uh, how you came to be the founder and CEO of Granite Shares. Yeah, no, happy to. Uh, And once again, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, so my background is probably quite, you know, similar to a lot of folks in our business in that, you know, I've been in the asset management business pretty much since college. So when I graduated college, I went to an investment bank, um, worked there for a year and a half, and then got into the asset management business. And at that time, kind of the early 2000s, ETFs were really, I mean, no one had heard of ETFs. Um, and... The firm I was with at the time, which you know, folks would know is now called BlackRock, um, were really the pioneers of this new product um, called an exchange traded fund or ETF. So I was kind of lucky to be in the right place at the right time, really, and um, had my sort of education in this new product that was really taking off in the market. And I've just kind of followed that through my career. So I built managed businesses within the space. And before I founded my own company, which was ultimately what I'm doing now, um, I was running the largest commodity uh, fund in the world, uh, which is also coincidentally an ETF, um, and that's the gold uh, ETF ticker code GLD, which people might be familiar with. So I was running that for, for two and a half years and then set up Granite Shares um, because I wanted to you know, give investors a better solution uh, in my mind. And so we raised venture capital money as a startup like uh, any other startup, I suppose, but um, we've created a billion-dollar uh, asset management firm uh, within three years in terms of assets under management, and so that's kind of what I'm doing now. It's it's my baby. It's something that um, I feel very passionate about, and we have ETF strategies. Just so the listeners can get an idea, we have what we call differentiated uh, and unique investment ideas. So in the U.S., we have kind of three pillars of what we do. So we do real assets. Gold um, being kind of the pillar of that or the core of that, um, commodities, platinum, and then we have uh, alternative income, so high income strategy, and then we have a disruptive core equity strategy. And then in in Europe, actually, we have a very cool um, idea, which unfortunately uh, we don't have here or is not available for for the U.S. market. But we have the first ever um, leveraged single stock ETFs. So. 
we created a product that provides leverage, prepackaged leverage on a single stock. So in the UK, we have some of the largest um, UK stocks, but you can have three times leverage, short or long, no margin, etc. which obviously, is, as you guys will probably understand, is great for trading community um, in Europe. So that's just a little bit about me, my background, and, and my company, Granite Shares. That's, I have a hundred questions. Dan, I'll let you go first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just have to say, first off, this concept of the leverage stock, that is really intriguing. Um, That's something I could probably sit and ask you questions about for days and days. But first, just for a lot of people out there listening that don't totally understand what the ETF is, can you kind of explain what an ETF is, how it kind of came about, and uh, how people utilize it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So ETF is just an acronym for exchange traded fund. And its basic concept is it's just a fund like anybody would understand a fund to be, except it's listed on a stock exchange. And therefore, its shares are traded just like any other stock in the market. So instead of just buying shares in Google or buying shares in Apple, you're buying shares in a fund on the exchange that gives you exposure to 100 different companies or 500 different companies. And basically, it's just a vehicle that you can put almost anything in as an underlying. So you could buy an ETF on gold, you could buy an ETF on a broad portfolio of, of, uh, of equities or stocks, or you could buy emerging markets, fixed income, commodities, the whole sort of gamut. So it's really, really taken off, um, I guess, as a kind of investment technology. I mean, I look at it as the new technology in investing in asset management. Um, which outdates the the previous technology, which is the mutual fund. So most people will be familiar with buying mutual funds, but that's the old technology. The new technology is ETFs, and you can buy it for a brokerage account just like a stock, um, and really that's how it works. When you mentioned that it was the early 2000s and you were kind of in the right place at the right time, it struck me it's hard to believe that ETFs have only been around that long because they're so huge in the marketplace now. You have you know, whole communities around trading the, you know, spy or whatever else going on. And you mentioned from the same provider, I believe, you manage the GLD, which is the largest gold ETF in the world. Man, I have a few questions about that. Uh, (laughs) I have to say, before we even got on, I had never talked to Jack early in the morning. I'm usually on my computer by about 6.30 I got a message from Jack at about 7 a.m. this morning about how excited he was to talk about ETFs. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. Well, no, it is. It is good. It's, um, you know, it shares some similarities with futures at a um, sort of high level where you're kind yeah. of bidding on something that is, uh, you know, a set piece of something. Um as far as the GLD, uh, what was the original name of that again? It was something, uh, you talk about things being outdated. I remember it had this, it, what was it called? Like the Worldwide Gold Fund or? Yeah, it, well, the, the original name is still it's still the same name, but it's the, the Spider Gold Trust is its official name. Um, and the ticker code is GLD. Um, and, you know, since then, that was, uh, I think it listed in 2004, but there have been a number of, of gold ETFs. And obviously we offer our own version now, which is uh, bar or ticker code bar. But yeah, it's um, it's uh, been around for a long time. It's the first gold ETF here in the US. So my one fun question is, did you ever get to see the vault? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a big part of it. So, you know, <laughs> this this is a, kind of a cool story. So when, when I was setting up Granite Shares, 
you know, one of the one of the key things that I wanted to do was obviously create my own gold ETF and in my mind offer a better solution than than previous um, funds that I'd managed. And so in doing that, you have to uh, go and look at the different custodians and basically you have um, a bake-off, if you will, or you accept proposals, <laughs> you know, from the different gold vaults. Um, and obviously you have to choose which one you think is the best for your fund and your underlying investors. So I actually got to see a, a number of gold vaults, um, but I have done in my in my career. And so uh, it's pretty cool. So you can see you know, all the different security measures that they have and obviously all the different processes. And then clearly once you're inside the vault, um, all the different gold bars that they own. Typically, they also own you know silver bars, platinum, palladium, um, other forms of of precious metals as well, rhodium, some other rare earths. Um, but it's a it's a very cool experience. So, just for the benefit of the listeners, uh, because the GLD is the biggest gold ETF in the world, they have a lot of physical gold that they are storing, and there's almost a bit of mythology because it's a big secret where they're storing it all. Uh, yeah. And I've seen amateur sleuths try to figure it out and stuff like that, but uh, very interesting stuff. So um, as far as starting your own ETF, um, I'm kind of interested of what the process is even like for that. Uh, you raise capital for, I honestly have no idea. Yeah. So when you launch an ETF, it's very similar to launching a fund. Um, in that you know there's a registration process, so it's a regulated vehicle. So you have to go to the SEC, which is obviously the the uh, financial services regulator um, here in the U.S. to get um, authorization to do that. But once you have that, you have to get seed capital. So once the fund is constructed, which is basically a bunch of legal documents, um, in order for you to do that, you have to go and get seed capital because there's a minimum requirement of seed capital to list on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's actually um, around about two and a half million dollars. So you've got to go out and get two and a half million dollars to put into the fund as your kind of initial seed capital. So typically that comes from market making firms. And so you go to market making firms, um, kind of pitch them on, on the idea, hope that they buy in and want to make markets in your, in your fund. And then they seed the fund with the initial, you know, two and a half million. And then you're kind of off to the races. Then it's up to you to then raise, raise money. Um, and really, the thing about an ETF is kind of a perpetual IPO because you're always raising money um, for the fund because you know people can buy and sell it all day, every day that the market's open. Yeah, that's interesting. The uh, rebalancing is so much di- just in case uh, they're not familiar, those listening again, uh, I believe with mutual funds, they actually you buy a share and they get whatever assets they need to make sure everyone gets their share of stuff. Um, with the ETFs, it's just whatever the market is dictating is the price for that. Um, what's how difficult is it to rebalance that? The um, the rebalancing obviously depends on um, what kind of ETF you're talking about. So what we call or what we refer to as the underlying. So if the underlying is stocks, if it's bonds, if it's commodities, but generally speaking, the rebalancing the the, the only time is probably some technicalities are, I would say, probably two buckets. If you have underlyings that are less liquid, um, so that might be, you know, might be very small cap stocks, um, or it might be um, some of the less liquid parts of the bond market, or you're holding international securities that operate in different time zones. So you've got to think about in the US trading day, that I've got a bunch of my portfolio that's actually closed, if it's Asian stocks, 
or if it's um, European stocks and if it's, you know, kind of the midday here in the US, the underlying market is closed. So you have to rebalance thinking about those underlying challenges. And obviously, you can only access those markets when they're open. Very cool. Um, so the ETFs that you guys offer are meant for investors more so than traders? Or what's that like? Well, I guess, so here's the beauty of an ETF, that an ETF is just like a stock. It's listed on a stock exchange and can be bought by anybody who has access to a brokerage account. So I always say that, you know, that there's not a typical client or a customer for an ETF. It's a spectrum. So just like a stock, there'll be people that buy Apple and will hold it their entire career. There'll be people that will trade Apple on a daily basis. But it's difficult to say, is it a sort of a trade or is it a long-term investment? Because that depends on who you are and why you want to own it. And ETFs are exactly the same. I would say the the nuance would be clear. There are some ETFs that you know wouldn't make any sense to trade them um, because of the nature of of what they are or what they own. But something like gold, you know, clearly gold people trade gold futures. That's a hugely active market, and people trade gold ETFs in the same way. Platinum commodities and certainly some of the equity products. But you know, for example, our income ETF, we have a high income ETF, HIPS. You know, wouldn't see people really trading that because people typically want to own that to get income and therefore it's more of a longer term play. But yeah, I mean, e- ETFs across the board, I mean, just depends on, on how you want to use it. But there's a huge, there's a huge demand for them as uh, trading vehicles, you know, as well as long term investments. Great. I've rambled off a bunch of questions, Dan. I'll give you a <laughs> chance to jump in there. Yeah, so obviously, I think one of the things our, a lot of our traders are always talking about is, especially here at Top Step, we like to talk to traders about products that are fairly liquid, they're moving. What kind of volume do you tend to see on some of these ETFs? Yeah, so I guess it depends on the ETF. Again, I mean, there's you know a couple of thousand of ETFs um, here listed in the United States, so there's a big spectrum. Uh, I would say that the on a fairly consistent basis, you know, if you look at the top traded securities in the U.S. market, you know, a number of those will be ETFs. So obviously the SPY, uh, SPY, the S&P 500 ETF is always going to be up there. Um, the triple Qs, that's the NASDAQ, um, also up there as well. So, you know, throughout the evolution of the ETF market, a number of these products have become now, you know, really proxies for the investment market. And so, uh, in terms of the most actively traded securities in America, you'll find anywhere from sort of 20 to 30% of those will be ETFs. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you can get volumes that are just absolutely ridiculous off the charts. Um, and then you can get, you know, funds that barely trade at all. So again, there's a huge spectrum between, you know, in those 2000 products. Absolutely. Um, and for someone new trying to get into this, what kind of capital does someone need to go ahead and start investing and or trading in an ETF? It's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because um, it, it is one of those things which um, you know, just people just need to understand. So it's just the share price of the ETF. So the minimum amount is what the share price is, just like a stock. So if it's a $5 share price and you need $5 to buy a share, if it's $100, you need $100. So it's just exactly like stock trading. And for those that are familiar with stock trading or stock investing, buying ETFs is exactly the same thing. It's just typically your underlying is different. You're buying multiple, multiple companies. Absolutely. That's something I try to explain to people. A lot of times when they hear ETFs or I'm I'm talking about SPY or something like that, 
the first question is like, well, I can't afford an S&P contract. I'm like, well, that's why you have to think about an ETF. It gives you an opportunity to get in. Things are a little bit cheaper there. Yeah, and a good example is gold, right? So look at, right. look at gold is exploding to the upside as we talk today. But, you know, let's say round about $1,700 an ounce. You know, $1,700 is not a, not a small amount of money for people to buy an ounce of gold. So the way that we um, do that from an ETF perspective is we fractionalize that gold into what we call uh, individual shares that are backed by a hundredth of an ounce. So when you buy a share of bar or gold ETF, that share is going to cost you $17 as opposed to 1700 And so it gives people the ability to buy physical gold, but at a much lower price than if they were to go out and buy that physically. And you can see that all across the board, examples where people can sort of fractionalize those investments to make them more palatable. Absolutely. Thanks for kind of diving in there because I think that's one of the bigger questions I've I've run into with a lot of people that are interested in these. Well, I just can't, you know, I can't get it. I got to go to futures because I have leverage there. Yeah. I can get into futures for a couple thousand dollars where when they start thinking about the actual commodity, it gets a little overwhelming. And so if you can look at that ETF, it's a definitely an opportunity for people to get into these markets. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And I think uh, this is something we say a lot with futures, how before you're going to trade or get into anything, you need to understand what is in the contract or what the specifications are. And I think we've seen a lot of, we talk about current events as far as ETFs go. Uh, There's been this huge explosion of retail trading, obviously. And um, I think a lot of times there's some questions of what is in an ETF. We saw that thing with the the USO and things like that, those uh, leveraged commodity ETFs. So uh, it's, I don't know if this borders into things, but we can explain a little bit how a leveraged ETF like that is made for oil, for instance. I believe it involves futures and contracts. And uh, obviously when oil went negative, um, those funds can really uh, explode on you. It's just important to know what's in it before you get into these things, just like any other investment or anything else you would trade. Exactly. You know, lesson, lesson number one, you know, the golden rule of any investing is understand what you're buying. You know, for goodness sake, you know, understand what it is before you do it, because the quickest way to lose money is by getting into something that you haven't done your homework on. So, you know, for whether sure. it's an ETF or futures contract stock, you know, understand what you're buying. A couple of things to kind of unpack there. So, so particularly with regards to USO, which obviously got a lot of publicity, that's actually not leveraged. It's not a, not a leveraged investment. Um, but what it does do is own oil futures contracts and oil futures contracts. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they think that it's providing exposure to the spot price of oil and the spot price of crude oil is uninvestable because what that means is that you're actually taking physical possession of a barrel of oil, which nobody's going to do. That's the reason why we have futures contracts. So number one, the futures contracts give you a slightly different price than a barrel of oil. And obviously futures contracts, you know, price can, can vary pretty significantly if there's a lot of volatility in the market. And so I think that's what caught people out. Um, particularly with that, is that the biggest mistake that people make is they think they're getting the spot price when they're not. Um, but it's not a leveraged investment. Um, a leveraged ETF, on the, on the other hand, whether it's a two times leverage factor or it's a three times leverage factor, the way that that works is the leverage is built into the actual fund. So it's called continuous or constant leverage, where you get three times the amount of leverage on the underlying index, the underlying stock um, for a given day. And then the profits or the proceeds of that are reinvested for the next day. And that's what's called the compounding effect. So 
over periods of time, if the price is going up, you end up from a compounding perspective, outperforming the relative uh, increase in the underlying. But consequently, if it's a choppy market, you can end up underperforming because of that compounding effect. But it's just giving you two times or three times exposure for any given day, and then it resets. That's awesome. And tell me if I'm wrong here, because as I said, I do not have a full understanding of ETF. So you can treat me sort of like the, uh, you know, the novice here. Uh, with a lot with the leveraged ETFs, are those generally meant more for day trading? Is it something I've heard? Because some of them have natural decay factors. Um, yes. So these are generally products that you want to day trade. Is, is that true with you talked about how you have single stock leveraged ETFs? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, again, there's, there's a lot of confusion with those kind of products. Um, and, you know, the, the clearest thing that I can say is that the leverage factor, the way it works is it's constant leverage for a given day. So every day you get exposure to two times or three times or minus two times or minus three times for that day. And then it resets again for the next day. And that's what causes, you know, sometimes there could be confusion with people thinking that it's going to provide you know, over the course of a week or a month exactly two times what the underlying security would have done if you took that to its natural conclusion. So it's constant leverage every day, provides that exposure, but it resets. So again, it comes back to what is your objective? What is your investment objective? Um, I would say that from a short-term perspective, that's probably how the majority of people use them. But if you look at um, certainly some of the products here that have been around for, for a long, long time, you know, clearly if you were bought you know, three times leveraged on the NASDAQ or three times leveraged on the S&P over the last 10 years, I mean, you, it's performed phenomenally well. So I'm not saying that everybody should go out and you know, use these long-term investments. Absolutely not. Um, but again, just understand how they work and understand what may be right for you as an investor. I have a quick question for you. We saw about two months ago, we saw crude oil go negative. How did the crude oil ETFs handle that? Yeah, so I guess there are a number of different um, ETFs in the, the, in the market. But I think the biggest thing that people probably didn't understand is that all ETFs typically follow an index. So all they're doing is applying the rules of whatever that underlying index is and investing according to what that index is doing. So in the case of oil, I think it was the May contract um, that went negative. But at the time, the majority of oil products would not have been in the May contract. It would have already rolled into the June contract or even the August contract. So they weren't actually exposed to that month. I think people thought, oh, my goodness, you know, that it could go negative and an ETF could end up owing money to its investors. I mean, one, that can't happen for, for regulatory reasons. But two it comes back to understanding what the strategy actually is. And the good thing about ETFs is they're completely transparent. So you can have a look at the underlying holdings and you'd be able to see that actually what the exposure the fund had was actually in the, in the June contract or whatever it may be. Now, the issue with USO is that because of the volatility was so extreme, it wasn't just the May contract that people were worried about. The May contract went negative, but then people started to say, well, goodness, if the May contract can go negative, what about the June contract or the July contract or the August contract? You know, if, if one month's negative because of massive oversupply, why can't others go negative? So what they did was try and adjust their, their rolling strategy to get uh, access to other parts of the curve that were less volatile. It was shocking just how many major 
players were kind of caught flat footed on that, who probably should have known better that the prices could go negative. Uh, obviously, interactive brokers took a hundred plus million dollar loss. I think uh, Chinese traders also. I've heard some pretty bad stories coming out of that, but uh, thankfully none of the retail guys had to pay the nine million dollar margin call or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean it's just a complete black swan, and again. You know, these things are not possible until they're possible. And, right. you know, we've seen instances all over the market, whether you're talking about um, high yield debt or VIX securities. Um, but there are a number of issues where people think that uh, it's a trade that lasts forever or it's a, it's a situation investment scenario that lasts forever. And, and that's never the case. It, it's always a certain trade or a certain environment that allows that trade to happen. And then when that changes, that's when things can go horribly wrong. You mentioned the, um, I believe it was the equity ETF uh, you guys do. It's, what was it called again? It's called X out. Yeah. The idea here is that you've got um, traditional sort of stock picking strategies. Basically, the whole investment management industry has always been geared around picking winners. So it's all about the mentality of, if I pick this company or if I pick these companies, we're going to outperform the market because these are the companies that, that will do it. And as we know, research, countless amounts of research, academic research and others over the years have proved that that just doesn't work. That certainly after fees and taxes, the vast majority of, of active stock pickers don't outperform the market. So then you have this sort of ETF crowd that says, okay, well, knowing that, we know that investing in you know outperforming the market we can't do so let's just buy the market and what that is is just a portfolio of companies that represent the market a given index and we'll just hold that we'll accept the average and actually below the average when we take off uh, fees and taxes so what xout does is actually sort of flip that on its head and we say well actually instead of trying to pick winners it might be interesting or it might be easier to identify losers and exclude losers as opposed to picking winners. And so we use the lens of technological disruption because we think that that's the biggest, one of the biggest forward-facing risks faced by all investors. And then what we do is then flip that paradigm on its head and say, okay, what companies are fundamentally advantaged by technology? And what are those that will be fundamentally disadvantaged? And so when you flip it on its head, now you have every company in every sector because Technology doesn't discriminate between companies or between sectors. That can be you know, any company, any sector that's either thriving or is in secular or terminal decline in this environment. So X out, we take the top 500 companies in the US by market cap, and we exclude the 250 that have um, the lowest scores. We score every company from one to five. We use, we use fundamental factors to do that. So right now, you know, the, the performance of the fund has been pretty incredible. Because what the corona kind of panic has done is really accelerate that chasm between the haves and the have-nots in the market. And you guys will be very familiar with, obviously, all the interest around particularly the FANG stocks um, and how just a small club of stocks has such an outsized contribution to the performance of the market. And I think, I think a lot of people don't understand that, that when we talk about you know, the S&P 500 is up you know, X amount of points – what people don't really understand is that the attribution of those points really comes from such a small number of companies. And the disparity between those companies, the haves and the have-nots, is pretty huge. 
And what X out does is try and focus on Xing out the have nots. Yeah, we've discussed before um, the stat that's out there that the top five market cap firms in S&P 500 have the same combined market cap as something like the bottom 300 or 350. It changes probably more now because of uh, how the NASDAQ's been moving versus the S&P the last week. Um, yeah. And as far as the technological uh, disruption, it does go across all industries where I saw something that over some time period, maybe it was the uh, last decade, um, among the big stocks in S&P, the best performer was Netflix. But then I think the second best was like Domino's Pizza. And it's because they developed the app and used everything uh, that they could do from a tech advantage to really disrupt the pizza industry, which seems like it's making pizza. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, again, we've got to be dang- we've got to be careful not to kind of oversimplify. Um, but really, what we're talking about is every company, and it's the, the simplest I can explain it is every company has to become a tech company at some point. And so, I don't care whether you're selling pizzas or whether you're selling, you know, the most cutting edge automotive or or other technology. You have to have a digital strategy for this market and for this world. And Domino's Pizza, I think, is a great example of that, where, you know, clearly they identified that, you know, early have a very good digital distribution. And really what a restaurant, a Domino's Pizza restaurant has now become is kind of like an Amazon fulfillment center, where you just have people, you know, putting pizzas into boxes and shipping them out. And really, you think about the scalability of that. Scalability is obviously a lot more than having diners come into your restaurant, you know, sitting down, tables, et cetera. And again, through the COVID, you know, those that have been able to distribute online, you know, have been able to not just continue their business, but probably thrive and win new customers and market share. You know, and think about the gamification of pizza buying through points and all sorts of other things that um, people be familiar with, loyalty, loyalty points, et cetera. Um, and that, that, just, that just really helps. And I think that the, the current crisis that we're kind of going through it only, exa- it only sort of exacerbates those differences between those people that have a digital game and those that don't. It's a game changer at this day and age. If you don't have the, the technology side, you're going to continue to fall behind. I don't know any company out there right now that doesn't have digital that is doing well. It's very hard to find that. And that's, I, mean, I, I do a lot of stock investing, and that's usually one of the first things I'm looking at. What's what's their digital game here? How does this play out? Is there long term opportunity? And now I'm going to continue. I'm going to make the I always ask myself the question: If we uh, coronavirus comes back, can yes. they survive? It? I mean, look at Zoom. I mean, Zoom obviously is the kind of, in some respects, the the talking stock at the moment. You know, with all of the the Zoom calls that have happened throughout the um, the pandemic. But you know, Zoom IPO. I think it IPO at 10 billion or something like that. Um, market cap now is around 50 or 60 billion. But, that, but that's more than the entire US airline industry. And, you know, you think about, you know, what that really means and the difference between the digital economy and the old economy. Um, and, and it's pretty, pretty stark. It really is. It's astronomical. I wish I bought Zoom in the beginning of the corona. I'd been using Zoom for the last two and a half years, never once thought, oh, this would be a great product no, to absolutely. invest in. But then only for that, did you realize how hindsight bad uh, Google Hangouts was for the kind of stuff you need to do. And then they've obviously tried to change that very quickly out of necessity. But um, yeah, things like this obviously cause a lot of disruption. So are most of your uh, 
efforts put towards research? Are you is that where most of your costs are going? I would say actually that um, it's probably marketing in in its um, you know it, in its kind of umbrella context, and that is because at the end of the day, you know we are public facing firm. You can buy our ETFs just like a stock, and so we have to make people aware of them. So once we obviously incur the costs of of getting the product to market and managing the product, and those costs are obviously they're pretty significant because we're a, a regulated business. Um, but really, then it comes down to marketing. I think like a lot of businesses, you know, marketing tends to be um, in, in its sort of, you know, umbrella context. That's the largest expense that people have. It certainly is at top step. Um, we, 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 well, it just is because we constantly, you know, we have a product that we think uh, would benefit a lot of people, but they don't know about it. So yep. you got to get the word out. So that's uh, super cool. Yeah. Um, I guess if people were interested in learning more about uh, the company, where should they check you guys out? Yeah, we're hopefully very easy to find. So we're Granite Shares, just as it sounds, Granite like the rock, shares as in shares.com. Um, check out the website. Um, feel free to contact us directly. Um, we have uh, a chat on, on the site and it's easy to email or, or phone us. Jeff is uh, Jeff is very good on there. Um, he hit me up as soon as I went into the website, go. and then I got a message. I got a message about two minutes later. If there's anything I can do to help you out as you scroll through our website, please there let me go. know. So shout out exactly. to Jeff. Um, so funny enough, Jeff's actually our portfolio manager. So it's not a bot. It's actually he's a real person. <laughs> very important person. <laughs> yeah, I think for a while we had who, who, who was the person on the emails, Dan. Sarah? Um, well, I was a real employee for Top Step Trader. Um, her name is Sarah. She's worked for the company since day one. Just most employees <laughs> yeah. don't know who she is. Yeah. She's legit. She's real. I know yeah. her. I've met she her a comes, few times. She's, yeah. she's around in the ether from time to time. Yeah, it's funny because one of the things with, with the COVID is that um, obviously we're all working from home and you know, that's not an issue for us because we're a company that um, as a kind of fintech you know, asset manager, we were built, we built our business in the cloud. So, you know, we're just kind of finance guys. So culturally we liked working in an office and that's kind of what we were used to, but we didn't have to work in an office. So it's been a seamless transition for us, but, um, on, on the chat, we take turns in, in terms of doing that. And so Jeff's on it today. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's who he is. See, uh, Dan, Dan and I both come that's from fun. the prop shop world where I've, I've been used to for a decade wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm not. I was. Well, I was in the Marine Corps, so we no, never had work from weird. home there. And then I was on the trading floor. I was in the. Sh I was in the prop shop, but we went into yep. the office every single day. And so when I came to Top Step Trader, and someone mentioned the concept of work from home, it was. I don't get what that is. I'd never be able to work from home, and I never did until about three months ago. And I had to like clear my desk off in my office and actually start using it again yeah. like uh, what it's supposed to be. Let me refine that, uh, what I said there. We didn't. We never worked from home. It was more like home was the office and everyone was wearing basketball shorts and T-shirts. Yeah. It was a bunch okay. of slobs, but uh, well-meaning slobs. That, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, Sweatpants. Oh, that's awesome. I hope that uh, some people out there go to Granite Shares and check it out. Um, Will, thank you so much for stopping by. This has been incredible. I only got through about you know 20 of my... 30 or th so thousand questions about uh, 
ETF. <laughs> I feel like I was fanboying out a little bit. Um, I'm going to go educate myself some more on that, and I recommend you all do too. So, uh, Will Ryan, founder and CEO of Granite Shares. Thanks for stopping by, man. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Dan. Really, thank you so much for having me. Um, really enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Guys, stay safe. Um, and thank you again. Really, really been a pleasure. Guys, thank you so much for, I shouldn't say guys, by the way. I mean, obviously, 90, 95% of you are guys, but uh, there's some women traders out there as well. So, uh, <laughs> traders, thanks for making it to the end of the Limit Up podcast, presented lovingly by Top Step Trader. Um, thanks again to Will Rind for coming on our show. Uh, he approached us, which is cool. So if you do something cool in the financial markets, uh, trading or otherwise, you know, give us an email and we'll uh, get back to you and get you on the show sometime. Um, Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, sunny day up here in Wisconsin. And, um, uh, you know what? I'm loving volatility right now. Markets are creating opportunity. Um, lots happening around the world right now. Um, issues going on with North and South Korea. Um, something we have to keep our eyes on. China and India. China and India. Ooh, that it's pulling my collar. Yeah. 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 Um, so there, things are happening. One thing that I found interesting, at least so far, and I'll just make this one thing. Um, there was that skirmish where who knows what happened with China and India. But I, I guess the China's credit, and I don't give China credit too much often for these sorts of things, uh, they're not going to at least now reveal how many PLA army people were killed because they don't want to get it into like a tit for tat thing and stoke it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's something, I guess. It but it uh, could be a hairy situation. But, you know, back to that. It's a lovely day outside. Weather's been great in Chicago. We got all the volatility that we can handle and some that I can't. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, Father's Day this weekend. So, you know, if you are uh, doing something for that, a barbecue or whatever, uh, have a good time. Keep your distance. And, um, yeah, just generally enjoy yourself. You doing anything, Dan? Uh, family's coming up. Uh, every Father's Day, we spend it uh, cooking my dad a bunch of his favorite food and on the water. That'll be the plan. What are you guys doing? I'll be going out to the uh, suburbs. Uh, my parents have a backyard there and they're going to have a barbecue oh no we're going to my uncle's place i could say oh. this here my, my dad every year he's like oh we always do uh father's day at your uncle's it's like well it's his day but uh i'll be extra nice to my dad <laughs> i think he gets there you go. <laughs> of having to go away for father's day but um anyway yeah everybody out there take advantage of volatility stay safe have a wonderful weekend, a happy Father's Day, or Merry Father's Day, happy Father's Day. I, I think, think it's happy. Have a happy Father's Day, and uh, as always, namaste, and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. 
Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.